chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue coming to you from a rainy Thursday morning here in Happy Valley, Penn State progressing in their preseason camp. We're going to talk about that. We got some recruiting conversation coming up here on the show as well. But before we dive into what we have in store for you today, I want to make sure if you're listening to this and didn't yet get to our Tuesday episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast, let's change that in a hurry. Go back, Tuesday episode, dropped early afternoon that day. Josh Pate leads things off, the uh, renowned national analyst here at 24-7 Sports, whose reputation and popularity has just skyrocketed in recent years. We're happy to have him on our show a few times each year. We'll check in with him again this season, but a really good preseason perspective from Josh Pate, not just on this Penn State team that he came and visited here in Happy Valley with a uh, spring trip to town, but also just a couple weeks ago, sitting down with James Franklin and a bunch of Big Ten coaches out in Indianapolis. He's got a good feel for where this team was, but also what the sense around the conference is about these Nittany Lions. Check that out. We also spent about 50 minutes after the Josh Pate interview breaking down what we saw and what we heard at Penn State's Media Day Sunday in Beaver Stadium and had that conversation with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon. We bring them on right now, and we'll pretty much pick up where we left off, guys, because uh, it's an evolving team. It always is in August. You're trying to wrap your head around 30-plus new scholarship players uh, the rest of the roster has progressed since the last time we saw them on the football field. And oh, by the way, you've got West Virginia coming to town in 23 days for your season opener. And let's begin, Mark. We're, we're going to talk about players that we're all curious to monitor in the coming weeks before that September 2nd kickoff. And the guy who was just uh, let off your story in, in terms of the featured photo, Hakeem Beeman, you wrote about the defensive tackle unit, which is one of those questions that we had, maybe a little bit more emphasis on that question than there should be because of the experience they bring back in that room. But I think that's a good spot to begin this conversation, Mark, in terms of intriguing players in the roster. It's a guy who's been around five years. He had a notable extended absence along the way. The weight has been a topic of conversation. Uh, but Akeem Beeman seems to be primed for a big season, although I have said that before on this podcast in past years. Yeah, I, but I really do. I get the sense that he's kind of pulling it all together now. I mean, uh, I had a chance to talk to Dion Barnes. We posted a video, and the video was actually – I mean, the, the timing of the video was ridiculous when Dion was talking about kind of the energy and the bounce that Hakeem brings to practice. He literally comes bouncing behind him, just kind of dancing around. And we've seen him out on the practice field just, you know, yelping and having fun. And, you know, th that may seem silly. But, you know, I think you're looking at a group that everybody has question marks about. 
And this is a guy who's been around for a long time. And I think that group really needs leaders. You lose one of the strongest leaders you've had in recent years in PJ Mustafer. And to me, Beeman's not going to be that sort of leader, the guy who gets up in front of the press and, you know, answers all questions and do that. But, but in the room, you know, from what Dion Barnes is telling us, this is a guy who uh, is at, still at this le level of his career, you know, a, a redshirt senior, fifth-year senior, still asking questions, still taking notes, still doing all those little things. And, you know, Dion Barnes, coaches have this thing, and, and I think we've all dealt with it from Little League on, where they say, try to get 1% better every day. And it's a cliche, but there's an element of importance to that. That if you are sh if you're if you are attempting to get a little little bit better every day, when you stack day after day after day after day after day, you know, within a week and then a month and then a year, where are you going to be? And the fact that he's pointing to a guy who's been around, still focusing on doing that, I think is important. You know, the other thing with Akeem Beeman is he was listed at 264 last year. I don't think any of us believe that that was his actual weight, but he's listed at 284 now. I don't know what his actual weight is, and he's never really wanted to tell us. I've never figured that out either. You know, I know back when, when, we, when I played basketball in high school, they used to list us like an inch or two smaller than we were, which I think was stupid because once you get out on the floor, people are going to realize how, how big you are. But listen, you, pass, you you look at this guy, and he just passes the eye test. He's athletic. You know, he, he's, he's, he's bigger than he's been. And I think for a room that has a lot of question marks, he is just a guy on this team that if he is able to get it done on a consistent basis, uh, it's going to be really important. You know, you did a great thing last year with breaking down the snap counts, and it's really good to go back to those. And I don't have them right in front of me, but – P.J. Mustafer was way out in front of D-tackles on the snap count front. And I was a little bit surprised to find out that Beeman wasn't all that far behind him. And then when you go from Beeman down, it dropped really, really low. The point being, this guy has played a lot of football. He's been in big games, and I think he's ready for it. It sounds odd, but at this stage of his career, given that hiccup he had a couple years ago where he was held out, you know, I think he's ready for a breakout year. I really do. And I think he's a guy that I would really keep an eye on. Referencing what you just talked about, Mustafer was right around 460 snaps on the season. Beeman, right around 430. So there wasn't that separation. And then below that. Some people, yeah, and then then you drop off a cliff. You go down to uh, Ellie's at, at 269, uh, Kazai Izzard, Zane Durant, Jordan Vandenberg, all somewhere between about 170 and 200. Of course, Izzard missed the first month of the season for undisclosed reasons. So that's impacting that a bit. But, yeah, there was, there was a separation there between those top two guys. I don't think we find that in this defensive tackle unit necessarily. Necessarily, I think that that you're you're working your way through four guys that, that we're going to see a bunch of. I don't know that we'll see two and then that kind of a separation this season. Um, but Akeem Beeman, you know, if he played that much last year and what we're hearing about him is that he's progressing and he's bigger and he's more equipped to be a, an every down defensive tackle for you. And he's probably not coming off the field any more than that. So. Where are the other snaps coming from? I don't know who's getting them taken away, but I think we're going to see a lot of, uh, of interchangeable pieces here. Zane Durant's the guy that we've mentioned a lot, uh, taking a step forward from maybe being a situational third-down pass rusher as a freshman to being a player who's commanding a lot more uh, looks as the course of uh, over the course of each game on Saturday. So, Daniel, we got more to, to look at in the defensive line. I've got a name that I, I want to make sure we're all monitoring. It's not going to be a surprise name, but where, where else do you land in this conversation um, just as we kick things off? 
Yeah, the the first name that I wrote down on my little list before, um, it might be one that that you were thinking about, but I had Davon Townley as as my you know off the bat first name to monitor. Um, you know, partly because reading Mark's story and thinking about the defensive tackles, but you know, Townley, someone who you know, redshirt sophomore, his third year in the program, but it's going to be his first year uh, playing defensive tackle. He looks bigger when you talk about the listed weights. He's still listed at 267 even though I would be very surprised if that's his actual weight. Um, you know, he has that, that twitch uh, from the outside. He was a high school basketball player. I think that he can do some really, really interesting things on the interior, but it's still going to be an adjustment. You run down the depth chart, and there's, you can make it the case for five guys in front of him at least um, you know, with varying levels of experience. So you know, I think that Townley might be more of a name for 2024, when you talk about impact on the field, but if Penn State can get something out of him this year, I think that could really boost that interior just because he has such a different body type uh, than some of these other defensive tackles. He's so long. Um, and we really saw last year, I think Beeman was good at this. Obviously, Trav Robinson was, and Abdul Carter was good at this when he rushed, but the Penn State front seven did such a good job of getting their hands uh, on, on passes last year. You know, when they couldn't get to the quarterback, they got their hands up. Um, I think with Townley's length and his size, that he's someone that can really affect the game, even if he's not putting up big sack numbers or big quarterback hurry numbers. So uh, I think that his transition will be really, it'll be, I think it could be really fun to watch. Um, you know, I don't think there's a lot of pressure on him to contribute right away. Um, but, you know, if he can, I think that would be a big boost. So I think when we get out there uh, again, you know, number 18 you know, in the trenches, especially going up against what Penn State has on the interior of its offensive line could be really, it's, it's worth monitoring. We've launched a new series this month and we're excited about it. Uh, we've gone through a, a few uh, in the series thus far. It's called the, the preseason progress report and Townley was the subject of, of one of our first ones that we had up at lines 24 seven this week. Our VIP subscribers are well in the know on this stuff, but just to kind of give a quick summary of, of where Townley is, it sounds like in, in 2024, I agree. That's where the, the focus is on him being, I think a, a force, a potential major factor with this defense, but he could be a, 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 at least a cog in 2023. And I don't know if we really thought he could be even when he came back to the roster in January, because we heard about the position transition. You're talking about a guy who missed all of that bowl practice work in December because he was in the transfer portal. We know how important that is for young players. They're usually getting loaded up with reps. He did not have that experience. Um, so to hear now through those first few days of camp from, from players, from, from staff members that Davon Townley has that versatile frame and he's a guy that, that, can impact games on Saturday if needed. The, the caveat there is you've got at least five guys you can reel off in front of them who are going to play, and, and they're going to play quite a bit. So he's got seven games under his belt through two two years at the college level, uh, it, but he was announced at 220 pounds on signing day in, in February of 2021. My understanding is, although he's listed 267, he's pushing closer to 280 pounds. So 60 pounds in a bit over two years where you've got the transfer portal entrance. I'm with you. It's a captivating kind of situation in a very deep defensive line room. And I'm going to go more for, uh, go further up that depth chart right now and, and focus on deny Dennis Sutton, because there's a lot of buzz right now about chop Robinson as a projected first round pick toward next year's NFL draft. We know all about Adiza Isaac, the way he finished out his, uh, his red shirt junior campaign and how that maybe set the stage for him here in 2023. But the Nye Dennis Sutton, 
based on his prospect pedigree, based on the way he just beat people throughout spring practice and the way that we understand that is carried over through the early stages of preseason camp. I just feel like you could see this guy go out and produce an all Big Ten caliber season after being relatively quiet as a freshman for a five-star pickup. Those three sacks all happened in September. Relatively restricted, under 20, under 15 snaps game by game. That's going to change in a big way. I think as his as his uh, usage blows up, his production is going to blow up. And he's giving guys fits right now on the practice field. We've heard all about it. We saw it firsthand uh, against that offensive tackle group in the blue-white game. And I just don't think there's a lot of teams out there that are equipped to handle what Penn State's going to throw your way uh, off the edge. And I, to me, because of his, because of the, the frame that he has, because of what we talked about coming in his recruitment, this is a guy that Nick Saban really wanted. This is a guy that Kirby Smart really wanted. Could have been playing roles on either of those programs last year. But instead, I think right now we're going to see the ascension of, of ben, then I Dennis Sutton in year two and further validate just why this was such a big recruiting win for Penn State. So a lot of the defensive line there. And, and, and Mark, do you want to take us in another direction now? Yeah, offensively, you know, I and, 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 and for people who follow the program really close, th- this may sound a little weird, but I think Trey Wallace is flying under the radar. And, and again, this is just one of those deals when when you keep your ear to the ground, there's so much focus on Keandre Lambert Smith for good reason. There's there's so much focus on Dante Cephas, you know the, the the transfer, you know for good reason. But you know what they need in that receiver room is somebody that you know is going to be consistent game in and game out. Now, could that be Keandre Lambert Smith? It could be. We started to see it toward the end of last year. But we haven't seen that throughout his career. And I think Trey Wallace is the kind of guy who can just go out there and get it done game in and game out. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that he's kind of flying under the radar a little bit, you know, to to the outside world. Because, again, you keep your ear to the ground and everybody in camp is talking about this guy. He had one of the best catches in camp. Some people were telling us about it, a one-handed stab. Um but I just I just look at this offense and you know where they are at quarterback. I think there's they're they're gonna be you know just fine and, and beyond fine eventually. Where they are at running back, you know, as good a duo as there is in the nation, where they are at offensive line, as deep as they've been since the mid-90s, you know, where they are at tight end, I think with two NFL caliber tight ends, and where does that leave you? You know, I think the talent is there in the receiver room, but I think they need that one consistent guy that you know is going to be there game in and game out. And again, I want to phrase this the right way. And you guys know this because you've been around the program. But when you talk to people about Keandre Lambert Smith, the one thing you hear is he's kind of he kind of has to stay out of his own way. He ha- he just has to stay focused and get it done. And I'm hoping for his sake that he does, because if he does that, he's an NFL prospect. But we just haven't seen it yet. So we've seen spurts of it. But I think Trey Wallace, you know, Harrison Wallace III, is the kind of guy who just has the skills, the athleticism, all of those things to be a a, a snap in, snap out. Every, you know, just get it done every single play. So he's one guy that, uh, again, keep an eye on. I know a lot of people, he's, He's been tabbed as one of their to the top two uh, receivers in the program by no less than James Franklin. 
but having said that, I think everybody's looking at Keandre Lambert Smith and everybody's looking at, you know, uh, Cephas and, and, and some of the younger players. And I think he's kind of, Mari Evans is a guy that everybody's looking at, but I think he's a guy that that's kind of going under the radar right now. Some of the feedback with Harrison Wallace has been that, that jump out of the gym athleticism that showed up on those basketball clips uh, yeah. when he got to campus playing hoops. It's starting to translate more in just live game action. You know, there were moments in one-on-one matchups. We saw a great catch in the blue-white game in the spring of 2022 where he went up and climbed the ladder and got, grabbed that ball. And those are nice when there's instances and flashes. But when it's going from flashes to that's just who the guy is out there in live, in live speed – that's when it changes. That's when Harrison Wallace can take the next step. Let's remember, 19 career catches to this point. Keandre Lambert-Smith is the only member of this entire receiver room who has more than 20 catches in a Nittany Lions uniform. And, and the guy that I think we're all compelled by and we're going to be monitoring during camp is Dante Cephas. And what can he do? Because he has way more production at the college level than anybody on this roster as a pass target, but it didn't come at the Power 5 level. He had spots of Power 5 matchups. I think he had five or six Power 5 uh, matchups over the course of his Kent State career where he was a prominent figure for them in their offense. Now he has a Power 5 matchup every single day on the football field against one of the best defensive secondaries across the country. And so as you'd understand, there's a transition to that. I think a couple of things that, that you know, just in speaking with people within the program that, that we have learned about Dante Cephas is the hands really stand out. The guy's six foot, 185-ish pounds, but he has a larger radius than you might imagine. He's pretty fearless going and getting the ball in traffic. And when he gets his hands on the football, he's a guy who can really pluck that bigger hands than, than a six foot five wide receiver might usually come equipped with. And Dante Cephas not working with the first couple guys that we saw involved up there at Sunday's practice, but he was three practices in. They hadn't put on full pads yet. He just got to campus in May. And I think that's probably right around where you think the expectations are for Dante Cephas at practice four is a guy who's involved there toward the top end of the receiver group, but not quite at that top yet. We'll see where he's at a week from now. We'll see where he's at three weeks from now when this team go, uh, reaches uh, the field. But Dante Cephas, to me, um, he may be that that guy who pushes this ceiling in a different way. Because I think initially people view this as a huge pickup, a fireworks kind of pickup, because they saw some of the other programs that were mentioned in pursuing him out of the portal. And then maybe it set in a little bit that, okay, he's not getting to campus until the middle of summer. This is a big jump from Kent State, and I think people maybe recalibrated their expectations. And now I'm to the point where some people might be sleeping on what Dante Cephas can accomplish for Penn State because he's not starting already because he's not the first wide receiver that we see on the field. Let's give it some time. Let Cephas work into things. But it sounds like he brought the work ethic, the willingness, and the ball skills. You just got to get him on the same page, keep him working in the strength and conditioning program, which is a major jump from a max school. Um, and then I just say Caden Saunders is the guy that we're all keeping an eye on as well because his speed that he brought to campus and Amari Evans is more established. But when you look at those other freshmen who did not play last year, and there's four of them when you throw in Christian Driver now, Caden Saunders is the name that keeps popping up in terms of, 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 of if he finds that spark and if he continues to, to show that speed on the field, he's going to be a threat out of that slot where, where there's a bunch of other contenders there. Uh, but that's my spiel at wide receiver. Daniel, where do you want to take the conversation as we monitor players here in preseason camp? One last note on Caden Saunders. I would say that he's in the position to kind of most upset the depth chart. You know, when you talk about what guys did last year and just kind of, you know, moving them along the line, you know, with Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley leaving um, and adding Cephas, you know, I think that if you go off the pecking order and production from last year, I think Saunders is in position to maybe, you know, make the biggest move or, or change that equation a little bit. But, 
I'm not going to go too far away. I'll go to the tight end room. Um, and I think that Khalil Dinkins is someone to, to really watch um, and monitor this fall. Obviously, Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren have really established themselves atop that depth chart. And then at the bottom, uh, freshman Andrew Appelier has really, I think, built up a lot of excitement you know, with what he showed on tape, how he looks physically. Um, and But then you've got a couple guys in between. Um, you know, with Khalil Dinkins and Jerry Cross and then the other freshman, Joey Schlaufer. So, you know, I think that Dinkins is maybe a little bit under the radar um, right now. Um, you know, that number three tight end spot, I think, is going to be really interesting to see with what Penn State goes with. Um, you know, Mike Yersich and Ty Hal aren't afraid, you know, to put three tight ends out there on the field at once. Um, in various formations. So I, I think that Cool Dinkins has a you know, has a really interesting skill set. He's really athletic coming out of high school uh, out in Pittsburgh. You know, I think Tyler's written about it before where he's a guy who could have played basically, you know, anywhere he wanted, offense or defense. Um, and he stuck at tight end. You know, we got to see him in some, you know, mop-up action as that fourth tight end last year, and he flashed. Um, you know, I thought, I think he had that big, I think he had that touchdown catch, uh, maybe against Ohio, uh, from Drew Aller. Um, and you saw some good things out of him. Um, but you know, I think third year in the program, I think that he definitely has an edge for that third tight end spot. Um, but I think that the key for him will be to make it so that Mike Yersich and Ty Howell want to put three tight ends on the field, that they're comfortable with three tight ends on the field. Um, and, and how he can fit into that. So I think that Dinkins will be someone to to really keep an eye on. And, you know, is maybe one of the, the guys that you don't really think about who can change how this offense operates a little bit. And let's remember Dinkins was essentially force-fed practice reps this spring without Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson. It was Dinkins and, and Jerry Cross and, and a couple freshmen. So he got a ton of work with what we think will be the first team. And we'll find out more about Dinkins moving forward. The speed has really improved, six foot four, two hundred and forty-five pounds. But illustrating your point, Andrew Rapelier, who just got to campus in May, he's also six foot four. He's 10 pounds heavier than Khalil Dinkins as a newly arrived player. And I referenced this earlier. Got a, got a close look at him uh, when we were on the practice field about a week ago when he was rumbling by me. And he just looks that part in pads. He looked it out of pads when we, we saw them back in June. And what we're hearing from folks now that he's had some opportunity to practice is he's been a bit of a surprise considering the timeline of getting to campus here versus how it has, has worked out for him, uh, sharing the field with power five defenders, sharing the the, the room with a, a established group of tight ends, the guys who have been on campus and who are also blue chip talents. He's a top 24-7 prospect, but I think the difference is that they've signed a bunch of those guys in the past. He's better equipped physically to handle what Penn State's going to throw his way as a freshman than anyone who's done it since Pat Fryermuth back in 2018. I, I keep making that comparison but that's just the reality of where he is uh, as a physical specimen right now so I want to see if that translates and I want to see if Khalil Dickens is able to to show out that physicality I know that his athleticism and speed has been really uh, areas of emphasis for improvement in his first few years on campus and and we've seen the results there you know they want to see guys who can also get it done as a blocker we know that we saw what the difference looked like last year and, uh, and and Andrew Rapelier is the guy who's, who's turning some heads with physicality with that size. And don't forget about Jerry Cross and Joey Schleifer, Schleifer as you mentioned, but uh, a lot working out there in that tight end room. Uh, Mark, where do you want to take our conversation here as we move it forward? Anywhere on offense uh, elsewhere, or do we go back to D? No, no, I'll go on offense. And you want to talk about physicality. I mean, J.B. Nelson is a guy that there's a lot of buzz about this guy on the offensive line. 
uh, redshirt junior, JUCO transfer. So he's got two years of eligibility left, if I'm reading that right. 6'5", 332. But where does he play? I mean, we've talked so much about the the the, the offensive tackle, you know, rotation and, and what's going to go on there. And, and that would seem to be a natural position for J.B. Nelson. But, you know, we've also seen that they're not afraid to move him inside. Uh, but people in the program think he's an NFL talent. And that's where they are with this offensive line now where, and we, Tyler, you've talked about it in previous podcasts where they're in a situation where, where you're either making tough decisions on who's starting or are you platooning and how are you going to work that? Uh, but you know, if, if there are people within the program that we trust who are saying this guy's an NFL caliber offensive lineman, and we haven't talked all that much about him. And it's understandable because if you look at the tackle situation, you have Olu on the left side and then uh, Drew Shelton and, an- and another Wallace, Caden Wallace. I was actually going to have some fun and go with an all-Wallace players to watch and throw Cam in there, but I decided not to do that. But you have you know three offensive tackles who have played a lot of football. You know where do, where are they going to be able to find snaps for JB Nelson? And I think they're going to have to find a way to find snaps for him, whether it's inside, outside, however they do it. So he's a guy that I would really keep an eye on. It's generating a lot of buzz in camp. Uh, I'm going to stick on the offensive line real quick. Uh, Venga Ioane. I mean, we we talked about him a lot last year. And by the way, him, JB Nelson. They could have burned redshirt last year. If Penn State needed them to play, they were able to, to tow that line, get to those four games. That was the plan for Drew Shelton, of course, until Olu goes down, and then he's got to burn his redshirt. But J.B. Nelson and Venga Ioane in year one with this program, they could have played more extensively. We saw J.B. Nelson get a lot more run in a couple matchups uh, due to injury issues elsewhere. But, yeah, I mean, Venga is a guy that everyone just says it's not the brute force because you look at the guy, he's 350 pounds, and he's, and he's just rock solid, and he's looked that way since he was in high school, and you think he's just going to mash people and mash them. What, what we hear about him, which is really scary for, for opponents, is that when he gets into the open field, he can really move. And we knew that, that he matched up that, that, that uh, athleticism. He wasn't just a, a big piece uh, you know, just a, a big dude. He, ha- he matched up the athleticism. But what we've heard is, you know, that straight line speed, that ability to, to to quickly get off the ball, get to the second level, it's just different. And uh, when you've got a guy running like a freight train like this, and you know, Salim Wormley is the uh, returning starter at right guard. He played extensively last year after missing all the 2021 season. But Venga's going to push him, and that's another spot where you know we'll keep our eyes on a potential rotational approach and, and situational approach. And I think. You made a good point. We've done it before. Guys like Venga Ioane, guys like J.B. Nelson, someone like Caden Wallace or Drew Shelton, whoever's watching the, the first team offense take the field on September 2nd. All three of those guys have starting homes in this conference, and, and they're going to be watching football at, uh, to start this season, we'd imagine. So I, I think it's a really good spot on the offensive line. Daniel, do you have anywhere to, to take us now? Yeah, I'll, I'll flip it over <clears throat> Flip it over to the defensive side, um, and I'm going to go with Johnny Dixon. Um, I think that we know what Penn State has to replace with Joey Porter Jr. leaving uh, and with Jair Brown leaving. Um, and, you know, those are two NFL guys that you have to replace. But, you know, I've talked when we were out at Big Ten Media Days, I was talking to people about the secondary and they were it was kind of the thing where they were like, yeah, that's, that's a lot to replace. You know, how, how worried is Penn State? And then you know, it never really comes up. Um, you know, I think that they're really confident with what they have. Um, back there but I think that Johnny Dixon is you know maybe a, a bit of a key to unlocking 
you know, what Manny Diaz wants to do, you know, a key to being pretty disruptive. You know, we saw him play on the inside uh, in the slot at times last year, and he was able to play behind the line of scrimmage and in coverage. He was really disruptive. He was around the ball a lot. Um, And I think that, you know, he can be a little bit of a luxury um, with Cam Miller, uh, we, you know, we've heard good feedback on him. So if Cam Miller can step up and hold things down on the outside a little bit, then that allows you to move Johnny Dixon around. I know Penn State has when in that prowler package, you know, they need to find a replacement for Jair Brown, you know, someone that they can move around, put at different spots. And I think that with what we saw from Dixon, with his ability to play inside, to rush the quarterback, you know, I think for a while he was leading the team in sacks. Um, you know, I think that he is a prime candidate, you know, to be that prowler, to play around the line of scrimmage, um, you know, to be kind of a hybrid slot corner safety linebacker, you know, do do whatever Penn State needs him to do. So you know, I think that there's kind of a there's a bit of a chain reaction there because you have to replace Joey Porter Jr. You have to replace Jair Brown. Um, you know, if you're if you're Terry Smith, you know, you need to have someone else on the outside that you're confident in you know, to move Johnny Dixon. And we think that that can be Cam Miller. Um, but, you know, I think that Dixon is, is someone that can be really disruptive for Penn State this year. And I think really enjoy kind of a, a breakout season uh, in his third year in the program. Cam Miller was on my list for sure. And you're right, there, there's a lot of supplemental parts here that Terry Smith and, and also Anthony Poindexter, Manny Diaz are using just at all three phases of the defense. But you look at what they can accomplish in the defensive backfield. And I think a guy who's going to be a big part of that is K.J. Winston. You know, he, he might not be a starter again at safety that that could go to Keaton Ellis and somebody else. But last year, Burn Redshirt played a ton of football, got really involved as a valuable special teams asset for this team. And that's going to continue. I'm just curious if he's somebody that is going to go from you know, one of these depth pieces that we say is a nice luxury to this guy can change a game at any at any point, because that's the read on him is, is you know, this he has legitimate long term major football potential. He's going to be in the sport for a while. That's what everyone will tell you. So what does it look like in year two? Is it still him getting 25 reps a game or are they going to see enough on the practice field and say, the leash has to be longer. We love our safety group, but other guys are just going to have to stick to the sideline because we can't afford not to have Winston on the field. This is one of those things that we'll be monitoring in those upcoming weeks. I don't know if we get our answer September 2nd as they sort through what they have and all the different pieces that first month of the season, but it, it ascending figure, no doubt about it. And that's an area where it feels like there's a lot of players on the rise, but maybe KJ Winston just working his way toward the top a little bit faster than others. Uh, and then Zariah Fisher, just up front, sticking with with a, a returning player on on the defensive side of the football. Not going to spend much time on it because we addressed it with the mailbag question not too long ago on the podcast. But Fisher is definitely a guy that they plan on implementing uh, consistently at the defensive end spot. We know that Smith Vilbert's out of that equation. Amin Vanover uh, was a was a, a, a locked in last year's rotational piece, so it shouldn't be a surprise to people that we're projecting he's going to be that fourth defensive end involved. But Zariah Fisher is going to play a lot of football. And, and and don't look past what he brought to campus as a prospect. He was a blue-chip talent, started off at linebacker, but they absolutely loved him as a front-seven defender, a guy who could grow into that edge role. I know that last year was a significant hiccup in his development, but with two years left on the table here, I've talked about it. Can this be a springboard for Zariah Fisher into what could be a really big cap-off to his Penn State career in 2024? Uh it's a hard room to do that in, but but I think he's got the goods, and it sounds like the staff has seen him 
put those things together on the field. Any veterans you wanted to focus on here, uh, Mark? I have a few freshmen to do a little more rapid fire off before we finish our conversation. But how about some guys that we've, we've, we've watched for a few years here within the program? Yeah, Kobe King is a guy that that definitely keep an eye on. Uh, everything we're hearing, he's playing extremely well. He had the benefit of playing throughout spring practice, with some, which some of the linebackers did not. Uh, split snaps with Tyler Elsden last year. I was able to bring up your list, Tyler. Elsden, 422, Kobe King, 310. And I wonder if you might not see that flip a little bit uh, just because Kobe King was out there. But again, you know, six one, pushing two hundred and fifty pounds. Uh, I, I, you know, you get the sense from from talking to people that that things are really starting to click for him at that point. At this point, and the ability to play in between Curtis Jacobs, the big dog, and Abdul Carter, I think would re- is really going to be helpful for him. That's not to discount Elston. I think he's going to be a key player in this linebacker group as well. And I think between the two of them, you have two good inside linebackers, especially, again, with the guys who are playing around you. But uh, people talking a lot about how things are just coming a lot more naturally to Kobe King at this point. Uh, you know, there's so much focus on his twin brother. I mean, it's almost hard to believe that those two guys are twins because they're so different <laughs> physically. Uh, Kalen, who's going to be a first-round draft pick. But, you know, Kalen was playing at, at, at cornerback, and I think most people would, would expect that it's probably, I don't want to say easier to transition from high school to college at that position, uh, but not nearly as complicated, I don't think, as is trying to, to, to transition to that Mike linebacker spot where you're the quarterback of the defense. So to hear that things are starting to come together for Kobe King, I think is a really good thing for Kobe King, obviously, but also for the, for this defense. Uh, and, and Daniel, before we jump into the freshmen, any any other f- veterans uh, you wanted to mention here on the conversation? I would just circle back to the to the final kind of depth defensive end that um, you know has popped up, you know, along with Zariah Fisher with Amin Vanover. Um, I think that we've seen him, you know, flash a couple times over the past two years. Um, and, you know, he's kind of been, you know, pretty quiet. Uh, but I think that he is someone where there's a lot of excitement about him um, and that, you know, he and Fisher really do give Penn State, you know, they can go five deep at defensive end. You know, they can have a, a two and a half deep thanks to them, uh, as, as James Franklin put it. Um, but I think that Vanover is someone where, you know, when you get in kind of the, you know, maybe middle of the first quarter, early in the second quarter, when you start rotating guys in, I think that he's someone that can make a couple splash plays this year. You get to the end of these games, you've got an offensive tackle who's been out there every single snap battling three different defensive ends, and you're able to put a relatively fresh uh, Amin Vanover or Deny Dennis Sutton against him. And, and it, it really could add up for this team in significant ways as the season wears on. Um, so freshmen, I mean, we, we've already referenced a few of them. Andrew Rappi is a guy that we've talked a lot about at tight end. Jameel Lyons is a player we have not talked a lot about. Out of Philadelphia's Roman Catholic defensive end, uh, Brian Doan spoke highly of him when he was on the podcast here about a month ago, giving kind of a final breakdown of this freshman class that Penn State brought in. Uh, but he's a guy that you're hearing is natural, 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 natural. That's the word that keeps popping up. He had some VIP content as part of our preseason progress report on Wednesday at Lions 24-7, just to give you a little bit of insight into that. Uh, he's a guy that's simply getting into the backfield, getting after the quarterback, showing that ability to bend without much thought to it. So when you're coming to campus in June and doing that in the football field the first week of August, people are going to take notice. And that's not to say he's a Big Ten-ready defensive end in year one, and he doesn't need to be because this is a group that has at least five guys in front of him that are going to play a ton of football. 
Um, but I think it was good to hear some early returns on a guy who probably went a little under the radar overall in the 2023 class. Tony Rojas, how can we how can we look away at this point based on what he's done thus far on campus? But Tamir Robinson is a guy that because of all the love that Rojas has gotten, I, I don't want to forget about him. Tyler Elson's back in that mix that Mike, but I'm curious if Robinson can do enough uh, to assert himself as, as a guy who's going to get some longer looks as a freshman that we, we may have anticipated. I mean, he was largely wiped out as an upperclassman of game action, injured halfway through his junior season, missed his senior season. What would it look like when he got to campus? Was he really a linebacker or was he just a defensive end and waiting? He really seems like a linebacker and he really seems like a guy who can legitimately play in that Mike position moving forward. So excited to see more from him. And then in the defensive backfield, Elliot Washington made a lot of noise during spring ball, elite speed out of the state of Florida, but also a guy who's turned heads with his physicality at the cornerback spot. And then a more recent addition to that defensive backfield, King Mack uh, wrote about him more extensively earlier this week uh, for a VIP story. But he has come and, and, and translated a lot of that playmaking skills that we saw at St. Thomas Aquinas in South Florida up here in State College through his first few practices. The, the guy that the ball seems to find. And when you're hearing that about a freshman, it's always a really good thing because usually freshmen get lost in the shuffle. You kind of forget about them. When you're hearing that the ball's finding a freshman, that's a really good spot to be at. And then I'll just really quickly on the offensive end, Javen Williams. Can he be that fourth offensive tackle? There's optimism there. Again, reminder, last year your fourth offensive tackle proved to be a five-game starter down the stretch when you went 5-0 and at left tackle for you and Drew Shelton. So that's more an important role than you may realize here in August. And then in that offensive backfield, Daniel and I were discussing this last episode. You're kind of resetting your expectations for those two freshmen because of the great early returns that we've heard on Cam Wallace. I hope he's a guy that we get more of an extensive look at and, so, and some uh, good reps during the practice field rather than just drill work this month. And then London Montgomery, uh, wasn't sure we'd see him practicing at all in this month of August. Instead, he's practicing from day one of preseason camp and uh, J1 Sider saying he's full go. So um, probably a little bit ahead of schedule with, with this freshman class, I would say, through the first week of campus. And then we'll see what happens when they hit that wall and things get really hard and everything gets installed and they lose themselves. But We'll see who survives it and gets into September as guys who are going to be impact players on Saturday. But I think thus far, we knew some of the names we'd hear about in positive manner, but there's other names that have surfaced from the first year group that I think gives you optimism about where this class is heading. Daniel, did I miss anyone? And 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 and, and I and I hope I didn't take away too much from from you guys on, on these first year guys. <laughs> you just nah, looked at every, every single person. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think you covered it it really well. And uh, you know, I think that no no shade to some of the teams on on Penn State's schedule, but yeah, you know, it's the thing where you you really hope that they're able to take care of business against Delaware, against UMass uh, potentially, so we can really see these guys and you know, get the opportunity to see these guys in, in live game action. And I think that last year really proved uh, or last year showed that James Franklin, you know, wants to get these guys out there um, and that they know how valuable getting some of these reps earlier in the year is for, for these freshmen. But, you know, I think that with how they've been recruiting these past couple of years and just the, the depth on this team, I think that you, know, you get to the, the fourth quarter of some of these games and I think there will still be excitement. To, for some of these freshmen to you know see them out there make their debuts and you know able to to flash a little bit with what they're able to do 
we got a busy few days coming up at lines247.com. This evening, Thursday, we'll be back over at Penn State's practice facilities. We'll have a chance to hear from James Franklin, several players afterward, get our latest updates on what's happening uh, at preseason camp. And then on Saturday, we'll get a chance to really peel back the curtain for the first time since I've been covering this team. Um, my understanding, the first time since James Franklin has been running the show, we're going to have a fully open practice here during preseason camp. Not sure yet what that will look like. We don't know what the media structure is. We haven't been getting given our guidelines or rules and what day we'll is get them. it's thursday so we're running right, out of time but we do know that, that we're going to be that practice hey we'll be there we'll be there and if, if we don't have rules then we don't have rules if we do have rules then we'll do our best to follow them but yeah we're looking forward to saturday getting back out at penn state practice facilities hopefully emptying the notebook over the course of the weekend for you at lines 247.com but i don't want to bury the fact that we had this new look penn state basketball team back on the court playing some game action over in the Bahamas of all places this week. And I guess it's, uh, we did kind of bury it. We're 40 minutes into the <laughs> podcast and we've got recruiting coming up, but I wanted to spend just a few minutes here. Daniel, you had uh, some takeaways written up uh, uh, late evening on Tuesday coming out of that game. And, they played the Pirates. Uh, you got to remind me where the Pirates are from and what they're about. <laughs> but they beat them 113 to 65. Our matey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Penn, Penn State's down in the Bahamas uh, this week for a pair of exhibition games. Uh, they played a, a local team, uh, the Bahamas Pirates, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, it was originally on the schedule as the Bahamas national team, uh, but they were in Puerto Rico playing Kansas. Uh, and I was looking at some other schedules, and Penn State wasn't the only team that had the Bahamas national team on their Everyone schedule. Everyone wants a piece of the Bahamas, <laughs> like, man. Everyone's like, yeah. Um, and you know, has ended up playing a local team. But no, I thought that it was a it was a good first look. You know, it wasn't the cleanest play, which what you're kind of expecting when it's you know 13 guys, 10 of whom weren't here last year. You're in the Bahamas and basically a converted ballroom. Uh, more or less uh, so that the shooting wasn't quite there in the first half. But, you know, I think you really it was an opportunity to see you know, glimpses of what some of these players can do, like Ace Baldwin. He only scored four points, but he finished with a plus 36 plus minus um, that he was just, you know, on the court. He's a menace defensively. You, know, you saw Jameel Brown find his shooting stroke in the second half um, and look really, really smooth. You saw DeMarco Dunn's athleticism. You know, Nick Kern, uh, the VCU transfer was, uh, you know, was the leading scorer. And he really, really showed his athleticism. He showed hustle um, and he showed that I was listening to a Mike Rhodes podcast and um, with Andy Katz and Mike Rhodes said that Nick Kern is a, a culture guy. And you were able to see that with, with how he played um, in that game. So uh, it was kind of a, a good introduction. Uh, I did write a lot about it, even though you there's only so much that I think you should take away, you know, from seeing these guys who've only been playing together for, I think, eight weeks now. Um, but we'll get one more look at them later today, Thursday. Um, they're playing Canada's University of Victoria, um, who's also been down there in the Bahamas for a little while. Um, and I guess the one personnel note, um, Kadus Wahab and Favor Ire, um, the, the two big men transfers, uh, they didn't make the trip down. Um, so you've seen a lot of Demetrius Lilly and a lot of playing small <laughs> yet again. Uh, that was one of the things that I was looking forward to was seeing, you know, a more big men, you know, after we saw Penn State play small so much for last year. But we're getting a little a little bit more look at, at the small ball for, you know, a little bit longer.
Mark, before the Nittany Lions renew their rivalry with the University of Victoria on Thursday afternoon, I'd love to hear from you about what you took away from, from this. Obviously, Daniel laid it out pretty well. It's it's not uh, it, comparing apples and oranges when we're talking about Big Ten matchups here or anything, but this is a team that I'd imagine needs as many runs up and down the court together right. as possible between now and tip-off. Yeah, and that's the point. I mean, I don't think it really matters who you're playing. I mean, I think you'd rather slightly better competition than a you know one thirteen, sixty five game. But you have a new coach, you have all these new players. I think simply going on this trip is good from a team building perspective. And for people who don't realize, uh, you know, this was actually. Micah Shrewsbury actually set this up, and it just so happened that this was the year that Penn State is doing it. So it ended up being just perfect timing. But everybody who was on the trip played. Everybody who was on the trip scored. You know, those are the sorts of things that you look at. I think Daniel, the one stat that Daniel brought up, you know, you look at Ace Baldwin, and again, two of five, four points, didn't force anything, and finishes with a plus 36. And a lot of times in individual games, those plus minuses can be deceiving. But I think that tells you what Ace Baldwin's about. He's about winning. He's about you know setting up other players. If he needs to do it, he'll do it. He clearly didn't need to do it in this game. And then, you know, as you mentioned, Nick Kern, eight of nine from the field. I mean, Puff Johnson had a nice game. The 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 uh, the, the transfer from uh, North Carolina, which I think was a good sign off of the bench. And it was kind of interesting to see uh, what they got out of Zach Hicks because he had 12 rebounds, but he was 2 of 11 from the floor. So you don't know you know, what you're going to get. Demetrius Lilly, 2 of 6 from the line. I mean, these are all goofy kind of stats, but the fact that everybody played, everybody scored, you're on this trip together. Team building is what's important out of this uh, trip, more than wins or losses. But uh, obviously winning this one wasn't much of a problem for them. There'll be some reaction to the second exhibition down in the Bahamas over at lines247.com later on Thursday. And a bunch of football coverage, as I said, coming your way. Daniel, Mark, myself, Grace Brennan, our photographer, all out at the practice field Thursday evening. We look forward to seeing you back over at lines247.com for our coverage after that. Guys, appreciate the perspective. Talk to you real soon. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's jump into recruiting right now with Tyler Calvaruso, our insider at lines247.com. Not to be forgotten about as we get all fixated on preseason camp, Tyler Calvaruso doing a fantastic job covering the latest on Penn State recruiting over at lines247.com. What's going on, man? Not much, man. You know the deal by now. You guys are raring and ready to go with all the camp coverage. We got things locked down on the recruiting side on this end. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, and, and there is not a lot left to do in the 2024 class. You're looking for those remaining pieces to, to get this thing to the finish line come December. And There's a couple moving parts that we're going to talk about, including one that, that is a subject of our mailbag in just a little while. But we're going to have some fun in this conversation 
taking a, a closer review of the 2024 commitment list as currently constructed. It's one that blew up over the course of this summer, and we're going to hand out some superlatives. Uh, Tyler Calvaruso put together a piece over at Lines 24-7 about his superlatives coming out of this summer, assigning some of them. But before we do that, we've got one recruiting note to get to here in the 2024 trail, uh, and it's a familiar name. Jalen Harvey's popping up again. He's got an announcement coming up to finish off this week. What do we need to know about that announcement? What do we need to know about the four-star edge rusher who has been a Penn State priority for what feels like months and months and months and months and months? Well, I mean, based on social media activity, it seems like it's going to be a top three announcement for Jalen Harvey coming at the end of this week. And, you know, it kind of goes without saying that Penn State will be included in that if it is indeed a top three. You know, Jalen Harvey's recruitment has been uh, one with a lot of twists and turns. So we, we have to see what's actually going to happen this week when it happens. But uh, assuming it is that top three, it's Penn State, USC, and Maryland, it's looking like. Really, those are the three the most involved with Harvey at this point. And, I mean, look, it's something that we've talked about a bunch when it comes to the ins and outs of Harvey's recruitment. It's, you know, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. And, you know, Harvey told the Penn State staff, and it looked like that he was going to be done with his recruitment in June. You know, he was at the point where he wasn't going to take any more visits that obviously changed. The good thing with Jalen Harvey's recruitment is it looks like it does find it's going to have an end date because Brian Doan had a great intel piece up on the East Coast prospects. Harvey was included in that, and he is going to be announcing soon. He's not going to let it drag on into the fall throughout his senior season at Quince Orchard. So there's going to be an answer one way or another coming soon. I still think that Penn State is probably in the best spot to get it done. USC's the program that I'm keeping the closest eye on right now. Had a bunch of conversations with Harvey throughout Tuesday and Wednesday and really aligned with everything Brian had to report. USC is probably the one giving Penn State the most serious run for its money right now. Coming out of official visit season, it seemed like it was Maryland. It seemed like that Maryland official visit gave Jalen Harvey and his camp something to think about because he had a July 4th decision date set and then ultimately decided to push that back after the Maryland official. So Terps, you know, it's, it's definitely an in-state option. They've given him something to think about. USC has done well with defensive linemen on the East Coast this cycle. I mean, Penn State saw that when it swooped in and landed David Polypale last second in June when Polypale announced in July. So Trojans and the Nittany Lions have done battle this cycle. And really, I, I think Penn State has continued to do all of the right things with Harvey. I think uh, Penn State has heard the right things from Harvey regarding his level of interest in the Nittany Lions and where he might be leaning. But this is one, again, USC is definitely one to keep a very close eye on down the stretch of this recruitment. Right now, I still like my crystal ball prediction for the Nittany Lions, but we're just going to have to wait and see because it seems like there's a new update with Harvey pretty much on a daily basis at this point. But things are seemingly finally winding down, and we should have a definitive answer sooner rather than later at this point. All right, thanks for the intel there. Let's shift gears and, and focus on the guys who are on board with the 2024 Penn State class and, and serve up some of these superlatives that you went through. It was a really fun uh, read, especially after seeing a bunch of these guys in person at Penn State prospect camps over the course of the summer. And let's begin with the top prospect of this group. 
know, I gave it to Quentin Martin. That might seem like somewhat of a foregone conclusion considering what we've had to say about Quentin Martin throughout the cycle. One of the top names on Penn State's 2024 board, really spanning multiple cycles. You know, his place at the top of the board had been cemented for years, and it goes beyond. As a freshman. Yes. As a freshman. really, man. That's not even an exaggeration. That's the kind of prospect that he has been throughout his high school career at Bell Vernon. And his placement on the board, you know, we always talk about the best, keeping the best players in Pennsylvania and how much of a priority that is for the staff. But his placement on the board and him being so high on the board, it went far beyond him just being a Bell Vernon kid. I mean, you look at his skill set. Running back, he's elite. I mean, we've talked about, you know, as a guy wide, he could do that. Defensively, he would be, would have been an elite prospect if that was the side of the ball he decided that he wanted to play. I mean, there's just so much versatility to Quentin Martin's game. I mean, he, he's a freak athlete. We, we've seen it with our own eyes when he's camped at Penn State. He's put up some pretty impressive testing numbers. I mean, he's just one of those guys who is kind of different and one of those guys who has the kind of talent to be a game-breaker on a weekly basis. And you know, I give Luke Reynolds credit for what he's co- accomplished throughout his recruitment because he did give Quentin Martin, I think, a push for this top prospect spot. But at the end of the day, for me, it was Quentin Martin. Just everything that he has shown on film – and athletically throughout his high school career, it's impossible not to be excited about his potential and what he could bring to the Penn State backfield when he arrives in State College. There's just so much upside with him. He's going to keep growing. He's already very physically mature. He's going to keep growing, getting better, adding some speed. I think you've got a really special player on your hands if you're a Penn State fan. Yeah, if he was showing up to campus right now at, at his size, you're okay with it. Yeah, you're okay with that, and he's got another year before that happens. And and with Quentin Martin, I, I think to your point about his versatility, I believe – I don't think he is anymore. Maybe he is labeled the athlete. Uh, early on, th- there was the athlete label for him in, in, mm-hmm. in our rankings. And and uh, you've seen, though, the, the progression at running back and, and, yeah. and what he can really be as a true running back prospect. But I will say, while he was probably the best running back prospect we saw at camp all summer long – I would say when he went to receiver at the Whiteout camp and, and, and did some work downfield there and was running routes, he might have been the best receiver in attendance at That's that event. And I, and I know for a fact that there are coaches across Power 5 Conference, including here in Happy Valley, who believe he could be a damn good defensive back if that's where he ended up. But he's a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands at the college level. they got a really strong running back class with him and Corey Smith out of Wisconsin, who's a four-star. So I can't argue with that pick, but I will say Luke Reynolds, every time you see him, he gives you another reason to get excited, and he has been on the fast track for the top of our tight end rankings at 24-7 sports over the course of this offseason. Let's go to a different one, and it's best fit, and, and you kind of got to go with Cooper Cousins here, right? He was the, the lone man standing for about a full year. Yeah, I mean, I just thought how you know Luke Reynolds made things interesting for the top prospect uh, pick. I think there was not another consideration (laughs) when it came to the best fit. When you look at Cooper Cousins, and just starting with the way he plays, it's pretty much everything Phil Troutwin wants out of his offensive lineman in terms of the nastiness he plays with, the motor he has. Then you also factor in the the, uh, positional versatility. I mean, Cooper Cousins has spent the entirety of camp season working at each position on the offensive line. Penn State staff has worked him out at each position, and he really goes out there and he dominates no matter where he is asked to line up on the line. And that is just something that the Penn State staff really loves about him and is excited to get to work with him on. And then when you factor in everything that Cooper Cousins has brought from an off-the-field perspective and just aside from who he is as a prospect, he was alone in Penn State's 2024 recruiting class for really a long time. If you go back and look at it, he committed in January 2022 
was the only prospect in the class until Anthony Specker came along with his, with his commitment in January 2023. So almost a year. I believe Specker committed seven days before it would have been a year of Cooper Cousins being alone in Penn State's 2024 recruiting class. And that never had any sort of negative impact on him or anything like that. He was locked in on being the leader in that class from day one. He has played a huge part in that class coming together. And he has played a pivotal part in some of these recruitments specifically. Liam Andrews was got close with Cooper Cousins. Luke Reynolds got close with Cooper Cousins. Cooper Cousins got close with a lot of the guys who have gone on to commit to Penn State. And that's not a coincidence. That's not, you know, just, oh, Cooper has a great personality and happened to become friends with these guys. No, he made a concerted effort to be a leader in this 2024 class and help it reach the point where it is a top 10 class nationally. And you cannot discredit him at all in that regard. Whenever you look at the makeup of this 2024 class, Cooper Cousins has to be, and his role has to be taken into account. And that's just what makes him such a great fit for this Penn State program, a guy who really is all about the program and all about the team. It's never me with Cooper Cousins. It's always we. And I think that's one of his best traits, and that's something that Penn State has really liked about him as a person. We've seen him so much around Penn State camps the last couple of summers, too, where it felt like this summer he was almost an extension of the staff in some ways, you know, mm -hmm. helping make sure guys were approaching drills the right way, keeping guys accountable. And, and what I love about this guy, he, he brings as much aggression to the practice or to the practice field, to the camp drills that I've seen out of any offensive lineman that Penn State has signed during my time covering the team. And, and there have been some, some strong players there. Uh, not to say he's the perfect offensive line prospect, but upstairs mentally what he's giving you, what you know you're going to get when he gets to campus in terms of his wherewithal and competitive nature. Those are important things. There's a lot of good-looking offensive linemen out there who manhandle uh, undersized opponents at the high school level and push guys around. And then when they encounter players who are just as good or better than them or as physical or more physical than them, they start to wilt under that pressure when they get to a college football campus. Not going to be a problem for Cooper Cousins, who has kind of taken on the best defensive lineman that these camps have had to offer and done his best to make them his ragdoll over the course of those sessions. Let's go to another topic here and the superlative you handed out for biggest recruiting win. And we don't got to look too far back in the rearview mirror for this one. No, it was one that happened in July when Liam Andrews decided to bring it into his recruitment with a commitment to Penn State. And look, uh, we've really waxed poetic about the significance of this get for Deion Barnes as a first-year defensive line coach who hasn't even coached a game as the defensive line coach yet, already scoring some pretty big wins on the recruiting trail with Liam Andrews being the biggest. It's one of those gets that, and I've said it here, it shapes the perception of Penn State's 2024 defensive line hall. And make no mistake about it. Without Liam Andrews, it would have been a very good group. But getting a guy like Andrews in the fold, the surefire top 100 prospect, it takes it from a really good group to a potentially elite group, depending on how these guys develop when they get to campus. I mean, this was a battle, really, for Penn State throughout the winter where it looked like the Nittany Lions were falling behind a little bit. The tide started to turn when Penn State really opened the door to Andrews coming to State College and playing on the defensive line. Once he made it very clear that that was something that he wanted to do, at the next level, Penn State came around on it, and the relationships were already in place. But it was the the one relationship that wasn't really in place was the relationship with Deion Barnes, given when he took over, and the fact that Liam Andrews was not a priority on the defensive line until later on in his process. You know, up until that point, the relationship were mainly with Phil Troutwine, Frank Leonard, and other members of the offensive staff because it looked like that's where he was going to be playing. 
It looked like he was going to be an offensive line prospect. He makes a transition to defensive line prospect. Doesn't get the chance to talk to Deion Barnes in person until the blue-white game in April. And I think that was kind of the turning point in Liam Andrews' recruitment from a Penn State perspective because those two gelled really well kind of right off the bat. And when you have that kind of instant connection, considering that it was a fresher relationship, it speaks volumes. And for Penn State to close, to fight off a late push, from South Carolina. Wisconsin was also there in the end as well, but it ultimately came down to Penn State and South Carolina, and the Nittany Lions were able to fight that off, seal the deal. Definitely the biggest get of this class, in my opinion, and again, one that has the potential to shape the outlook of this 2024 defensive line group moving forward. A couple of years from now, when we take a look back and we evaluate this group, we might be calling it an elite group simply because of the addition of Liam Andrews. That's the kind of prospect he is and the kind of potential I think he has. That commitment came through on July 21st, and Andrews 101 overall in the top 24-7 rankings. Speaks highly of a guy who is now being rated as a defensive lineman and last year was a top 24-7 offensive lineman. And to make that change within a cycle isn't something I I'm, I'm really know that I've seen before. We've mm. seen offensive linemen say, I want to be a defensive lineman at the next level, and everyone kind of goes, okay, well, your offer list just kind of got cut in half because half these schools don't agree with you and don't think you can be that. Liam Andrews seems like his popularity rose, if anything, when, when he made this decision. Um, so really captivating stuff and, and curious to see what it looks like on the field for him as a senior at the Dexter School up in New England. Let's go from that, which produced some fireworks last month, to a sleeper pickup. What do you think is working our way through here, the guy that's just going way too far under the uh, under the radar based on what you know about the situation. There are a lot of options here because I do think Penn State actually has an abundance of sleepers in this class. I think Garrett Sexton is one. I think Ian Boyer is one to an extent. But the one who stands out to me is Antoine Belgrave Shorter, the cornerback from Florida down in Jacksonville, Mandarin High. It's just really – I think he does a lot of things that other top-tier cornerbacks – in this class do. Now I'm not saying Antoine Belgrave Shorter should be a high four star or five star or anything like that, but I think he's got some really intriguing upside to him because there are aspects of his game that just, I, I think it translates to the next level. He's very physical at the line of scrimmage. He's good at jamming receivers at the line. If that's what he's asked to do, he has showcased really good ball skills down the field on multiple occasions throughout seven on seven season. There have been clips of him high pointing ball going up and making plays down the field and John Mitchell is the star of that Mandarin high secondary. And even in 2025, that Holland Stubbs, who's a safety top 100 safety. So it's a star studded secondary. He's a guy who's not even talked about the most in his whole high school, in his own high school <laughs> secondary, which is, it says a lot about that program and its talent. But if you're flying under the radar in your own high school and Belgrave Shore is also flying under the radar in Penn state's 2024 recruiting class. I think, I, I think that, when he gets to campus, he's the kind of guy who arrives and he opens eyes early on. Obviously, it's going to come down to his comfort level and, you know, his physical development when it comes to what he's able to accomplish right off the bat when he gets to Penn State. But I think that he's just going to be one of those guys who he might not be a talking point right now. He might not be, you know, out there in the public eye as a guy that Penn State fans are hyped about. But I think they have reason to be. I think that John Mitchell and Antoine Belgrave Shorter, they're, they're bookends now in that Mandarin secondary. I think they have the chance to be a dynamic outside cornerback duo at the next level as well because of what Belgrave Shorter brings to the field. Belgrave Shorter, number 55 cornerback in 24-7 sports rankings. Mitchell, a four-star, is the number 20 cornerback overall in those rankings. And by the way, the two defensive backs that we keep hearing about from this freshman class – 
Florida dudes, King Mac, Elliot Washington, a couple more on their way from the Sunshine State next year. Last superlative to get to, and it seems like it's going to probably piggyback of, off of that answer, is what is the most underrated overall positional group when you assess this 2024 class? Yeah, I, I think it's the secondary. I just mentioned Belgrave Shorter as a guy who doesn't get a lot of attention. I mean, John Mitchell really doesn't get talked about a whole lot either, and he's arguably the best cornerback in the Penn state 2024 recruiting class. I just think he, he's very, uh, he's very quiet. You know, he's not a big social media guy. So that maybe kind of helps him to fly under the radar a little bit. Another one of those guys who just hits the field and gets the job done, really does whatever's asked of him. Kenneth Wosley, and we've seen him show out at every Penn state seven on seven. He's ever showed up to, he's got some really solid tape and he plays against good competition, giving who Imitech goes up against. So I think he's got some really good, traits that he's going to develop once he makes it to happy valley and then if you look on the back end of the secondary dewan lane another guy who's really quiet but he ain't quiet on the field man he brings the noise he's a hard hitter does a lot he does things at a really high level well-rounded safety bigger guy a guy i've mentioned was kind of in the mold of kari nelson as a bigger safety not necessarily the same skill set and the same strengths but similar in size and similar in utilization as well when it comes to ability to play over the top and down around the line of scrimmage. And then Vabu Torre, the Jersey guy from Irvington High, another one. It's really just he does everything well. I just got the chance to see him play in person during the fall, and he didn't get a full game in. He suffered an injury that cost him the second half that game. Nothing serious, but he would, I mean, when he was on the field during that first half, flying all over the place, making tackles, making plays in coverage. So, just guys who don't get a ton of attention, but are ballers. And we've seen that time and time again in person and on film. So I think that makes the secondary a really underrated aspect of this Penn State recruiting class. More good news for coaches Anthony Poindexter and Terry Smith. They've already got a lot of good things brewing in the defensive backfield here in 2023. Can I just add one real quick? Because I feel like we got to mention him. How about best scouting job of this cycle so far? And and I'm just going to say Ethan Grunkemeyer. Because now that we know a little bit more about Ethan Grunkemeyer and now the, the country knows a little bit more, the Power 5 offers were going to come. I mean, there was going to be more big-time Power 5 offers post-Penn State offer. He decided, hey, I got the comfort level. My, my QB trainer knows this staff really well. A guy I know really well, and Drew Aller's there. He can vouch for the situation. It feels right. I'm committing. We had Bre uh, Brad Mendler, who's the QB trainer for both Grunkemeyer and Drew Aller, on this podcast in July. And, and if folks heard that interview, I hope you did. But he emphasized that there were some sharks circling around Ethan Grunkemeyer, some big-time sharks in the Power 5 landscape, especially after his performance in the Elite 11 Finals out in Los Angeles, where he showed up as one of the best competitors out there. And so for Penn State to kind of set that aside – and feel great about Grunkemeyer, get him on campus multiple times this offseason, throwing the football around. You you got a guy who was a three-star prospect. Now you've got a guy going into his senior season who's a top 200 overall prospect, a four-star prospect, a guy who's rising in that sense. And Mike Yursich, just, just kind of the story of how this one came up, uh, he wasn't going to let this one kind of fall by the wayside. Uh, slip through the cracks or what have you. I think it was a really impressive job and getting getting Grunkemeyer and Penn State on each other's radar early, way earlier than a lot of teams ever would have done it. 
And then once he started to click and show that he was a power five, true power five, operable prospect, Penn State didn't hesitate at that point because if they had hesitated and it went a little bit longer and they try to jump in, we could be looking at a process where the kid had a, a few notable offers added to that pile, taking more visits, and maybe the process becomes more complicated. So I think really strong scouting job for, by Penn State and, and from start to finish here. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it, it was a pretty impressive, you know, looking back on it, it was a pretty impressive pivot when it came to quarterback recruiting. Right. You know, there, were, there were aspects of the quarterback board that were still playing out at that time, right? Michael Van Buren was still available for the taking, and it was really coming down to Penn State and Oregon. But the, Mike Gertz just gets out to Ohio and sees Grunk throw, and it's one of those things where it kind of hits you like, wow, this is a different kind of dude right here. His arm talent is different, and it's just – you know, he really surged up the board from that point on, and he became the guy that Penn State wanted. And, I mean, just look at what he's accomplished throughout the summer regarding, you know, the camp circuit. State College Elite 11 Regional, one of the best quarterbacks there. Gets out to the Elite 11 itself, one of the best quarterbacks there. He's going to be at the Under Armour All-American game to showcase his arm before he makes it to Penn State. And, yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the balls he's tossing around, Leading up to his senior season in scrimmage film, it's just so impressive. And I think we add uh, another one. Can we yeah. add another one? Because Brad mentioned it. How about his performance at Ohio State's seven on seven? Oh tournament? yeah, he was he was dealing out there. That was a big one, man. He was probably the best quarterback there that day. And in his own backyard, he was comfortable, man. He was fitting balls in really tight windows that day, and it was just overall one of those performances that you know kind of solidifies the evaluation. It kind it kind of makes you. It's one of those one of those tapes you watch if you're the Penn State staff you're like yup that's why we went after this guy <laughs> as hard as we did this is what we saw now everyone else has seen it so it's one of yeah. those feel-good moments for the staff man I'm, I'm really excited about Ethan Gronkamar there are a lot of people inside of Lash who are excited about Ethan Gronkamar so it's gonna be fun I'm interested to see how his senior season plays out I think he's in store for a big one yeah, I remember when Penn State got a three-star quarterback coming off of his junior season oh, yeah. and, and Drew Aller. Uh, and then by the time his senior season hit, he was a known commodity. He was working his way toward five-star territory. And Penn State fans got to just sit back, relax, and enjoy the senior season highlight film that was just remarkable. Some of the best quarterback play you'll see at the high school level. He was really impressive as a junior, but senior season was on a different level, and Nittany Lions fans everywhere got to wrap their arms around Drew Aller and think, oh, what could this look like in a Nittany Lions uniform? I'm not going to say we're going to be on the same pedestal as Drew Aller with Ethan Grunkemeyer, but uh, I think you could be in for a similar experience uh, for Penn State fans as, as they watch his senior season progress and start to realize what they have coming to campus in 2024 as this QB room overall in Penn State has become a lot more healthier, a lot more talented in the last couple of years that will continue next year. Uh, Tyler, let's finish off with a mailbag. Good stuff on the superlatives. I think it was a great time to, to kind of uh, reset things a little bit with that recruiting class because so much went on this summer. Uh, and our mailbag asks about another recruiting target left in the 2024 cycle. There's not a bunch of them that we've been focused on. Does Penn State have a legitimate chance to, to add four-star Texas defensive lineman Nigel Smith to the 2024 recruiting class? I think it does. I, I still think that it's going to be Oklahoma in the end for Nigel Smith, but Penn State, I, I think it has a better chance than a lot of people from the outside looking in realize. And a lot of that has to do with just Smith being aligned with the people at Penn State in terms of you know experience. And what I mean by that is, What's it going to be like for him when he gets to Penn State? You know, what are the values of the program? What are the values of the people in the program? And I think 
a lot of the way Smith approaches things aligns with the same exact way members of Penn State staff approach things. And I think Penn State is a place that Smith feels he would be very comfortable on and off the field, feels like he'd be able to grow in really all aspects. So that's something that has worked in Penn State's favor. The developmental pitch as a defensive end has worked in Penn State's favor. I think the relationship with Deion Barnes and other members of the staff, namely James Franklin, that relationship's in a really good place. I think Penn State's running second here. And it, it was a question that was posed to me on the board, hypothetically, what if Oklahoma was to fill up on the defensive line? Let me preface by what I'm about to say, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think Nigel Smith has a place in that class. But if Oklahoma were to drop out of the race, where would that leave Penn State? And I think that would leave Penn State in a pretty good spot. You know, Texas A&M has been mentioned to me as a sleeper for Nigel Smith. Uh, Texas is going to get an official visit from Nigel Smith before he wraps up his recruitment in early September. But I think Penn State has a better chance at this than a lot of people realize. Again, I still think Oklahoma is going to close on this one. And I just mentioned the relationships being such an important aspect of Smith's decision-making process. His best relationships, quite frankly, probably lie at Oklahoma. There's a lot of familiarity with the staff there. He's a place he's very, very comfortable. It's closer to home than Penn State is. I think that, that might not be a huge factor for Nigel Smith, but it's definitely something that's involved in the conversation. So the answer is yes. But I still think Oklahoma is going to get it done. September 8th is the decision date that's on the calendar right now. One thing I have a question on Oklahoma and just generally, because they're, they're recruiting well, they, 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 that's not a surprise. But they can't have back-to-back, you know, uh-oh seasons. So mm-hmm. last year, if, if they can call it a hiccup and say, well, we had a new coach, we were sort if they do that back-to-back years, that is really going to jeopardize their recruiting spot. So if Smith were to jump in with the Sooners, this is looking long-term, obviously, and this is throwing in a bunch of different stuff. But I think if, if you forecast what Oklahoma and their recruiting situation might look like in October, if things don't open up better and there's a bounce back, then there could be kind of a, just a reconsideration there. I don't know where Nigel Smith's head is at, and, and I don't know how wins and losses would impact things once he's ready to make a decision. But that's something that has that stuck in my head when I see a lot of guys committing or considering Oklahoma right now because of where that program is in year two under Brent Venables. Uh, with Nigel Smith, Top 100 prospect in the composite. He's number 115 overall in 24-7 sports assessment, a top 20 overall defensive lineman, um, and one that we will keep tabs on here for the upcoming month. Uh, appreciate it, Tyler Calvaruso. Always good stuff from you. You got a lot more for our readers at lines247.com coming up. Uh, good stuff, though, on the podcast, as always. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, good stuff from our entire full-time staff crew at lines247.com today as we also got to hear from Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon before Tyler Calvaruso. Again, if you missed it on Tuesday, strongly encourage you to check out our episode that featured Josh Pate, a national commentator here at 24-7 Sports on Penn State, on the evolving college football landscape and about the Big Ten football uh, picture here in 2023. Contentious at the top, certainly in Penn State, a primary competitor there. Uh, We'll be back with another episode early next week, tell you what we saw on the field, what we heard coming off of the field, and plenty more. Go check out our preseason progress reports, breaking down the latest in player development from practices over at lines247.com for our VIP subscribers, where you can hop on board now 30% off an annual subscription or $1 for one month to take that test drive. We'll be back for now. Stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast.